Hey, welcome to the Runaways podcast. My name is Cody. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about the calling Hartford that just happened. Uh, and we're going to talk about that judge call that happened in the finals and what really happened with that. But today I am joined with a bunch of people from the Runaways who all did extremely well at uh, Hartford calling. Uh, we had Pat, who was right there at his winning in. Unfortunately, wasn't able to make it in top eight. Uh, and then we also have James. James, unfortunately, him and I had to face each other around before the winning in, which we both knew our decks were good enough that whoever won that game was probably winning the next game and making it in as well. And then everyone knows we had Yuanji who went undefeated on day one. Uh, and then day two went in as first seed into the top eight and then got train wrecked and draft, unfortunately, uh, which is <laughs> not really his fault. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit uh, if he wants to as well. Uh, but Pat, I'll start with you. I know we had a heartbreak on that winning in, but how are you feeling a couple days removed? Oh, it was, you know, uh, overall I had a great time at the tournament. Um, for how scuffed my sealed pool was, I am even happy to have, like, you know, made day two. I, I really, I posted it on Twitter. I, I, I had just like actual no equipment that did anything for 90% of my matchups. I was playing three stadium pieces into almost everybody, um, which, you know, is <laughs> you need to have a little bit better. I think that in sealed, but we scrimped and, you know, managed to wait, make our way in and then drafted KO twice, both two one. Um, the last match against Mark, um, you know, I, I, I can't really say that I was unlucky because I mean I I went second, and he had a turn where he like just discarded his blue onto a bear fangs and just passed. Like things went good for me in the game, and it, his deck still was able to overcome. So he did have better armor than me, which you know again is a big big deal. But um, you know I I can't say how much I love this format for both sealed and for uh, draft. Um, I'm really excited to keep playing in the future. And I think that, um, those of us who put the time in will, it'll pay off for LA, um, for sure. So Pat, what you're telling me is it's your fault. I lost the mark. Yes, it is because you didn't, your fault. You didn't, uh, it's my <laughs> fault, my fault, but it, I was hoping that you would be able to avenge me and uh, you were unable to avenge me. So but. you didn't, you didn't, you didn't protect the sanctity of the top eight. Well, you let it, Mark in. Here's the thing though. So I, I, th I thought about this a little bit actually later on, I would have been in Mark's seat. And so I would have drafted Mark's deck and I would have, you know, won the tournament then. Right? Ah, they, yes, they, yes. Because <laughs> I would have got the knucklehead open, you know, whatever. Yep. So. No, no, I, I opened the knucklehead and it passed through like four people to get to him. It was ridiculous. Three people. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that in pack one or in pack like three it, or something? It was pack two, I believe. Pack two? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And James, uh, you and I had to play the round before. You were at the top pretty much the entire tournament. Um, yep. And unfortunately, we had so many runaways people. We had like, it was a problem. We had so many runaways people live for top eight that we ended up having th like three members in, in multiple pods right next to each other. Um, and so it was just like, well, only one of us is getting out of you know each of these pods more than likely. Um, I think it was like going into the final draft, we had seven people live for top eight. Yeah, which is insane. Like um, so unfortunately, it was you, me, and Naib in the that pod. Uh, you and I ended up facing in the second to last round, and then I faced Naib after that. Um, you had a pretty interesting take on it. You don't have to go into that, but how overall did you feel about your tournament? So 
overall, I felt pretty good. I'm quite sad I didn't top, but I uh, I knew that I was probably going to day two. I felt like um, I figured something out about the sealed format that no one else did, and it was pretty obvious that it, I believe that it's actually a fatigue format unless you open up a uh, really good pool. But most pools are not very good. And I went 7-1 day one on KO with a pretty bad KO pool. My armor was okay, but I had like four wild rides and no bear fangs. And my block through ratio was pretty bad. And I ended up fatiguing almost every single person I played day one. And no one expected it. I got some really quality players in there. And... A lot of the games I had to pit stack my win, but whatever, I can do that. And then uh, day two, I was in Yuanji's draft on the first pod, and we were in the undefeated slash uh, X1 bracket. I ended up going 1-2 uh, that pod, um, but I felt that my deck was much better than that. I ended up playing like a... Uh, like a Victor style deck, but I was in a triple Victor pod. And then the second pod, I was in your pod, and I felt like I drafted like one of the best Victor decks I could possibly draft, and then you just had the counter to it, and you had a better deck somehow. And I'm like, I don't understand how this is possible. Um, I felt like pretty confident in everything, but I also used day two as like a testing ground for like the Pro Tour, I think. And I probably just would have been better off just forcing KO or Kasai, and I probably would have done better. But I don't know. Besides the tournament, I just had like had a blast. I knew a ton of people at Hartford between the Magic, Lorcana, and Fab events, and I was overwhelmed. So if you didn't get to say hi to me or talk to me this weekend, I'm sorry. I couldn't make it from one end to the venue to the other without being bombarded with people asking me how I was doing. So thank you all. I appreciate all the support. Uh, and Yuanji, you had just obviously a cakewalk through day one going 8-0, uh, just showing up everybody on the stream. And then the d yeah. second day, you just, again, cakewalk through everybody because you're Yuanji and it's just easy for you. Um, and then someone got mad at you, I think, in top eight and decided to train yeah. rack you. So that's the story that I like. Uh, but how actually did you feel your tournament went? Um, so I, I think for day one, when I opened my sealed pool, I thought that it was pretty good. I, I actually had a hard time deciding between playing KO or playing, uh, I think I was going to play maybe Victor. Uh, and it was because if I played Guardian, I would have full equipment. But if I played KO, then I would be missing. Um, I, I didn't have a chess piece. And my hat wasn't that great. Uh, ultimately, I decided that I like the car, like the KO cards that I had were all like pretty good. I had um, what is it called, the cast bones, mm -hmm. that which I I got to. I was pretty lucky. I, I drew, drew it on turn zero a lot of times uh, over over the weekend. It was never really like for anything more than like two or three might might tokens, but you know it's good enough. And I also had like three agile uh windups which i think is like one of ko's best cards um i mean like other than that the seal pull was like nothing like too crazy 
it was just like a bunch of red attacks when like not enough blues but uh like enough if i dipped into you know some crappy generics i blocked very little and uh won a lot of my games at one life yeah every time i walked by you were like they had like a little uh tv set up and you're like on stream and every time i walk by you're both just at one and, and but you have full momentum and i was like ah you you have it i, I don't yeah, have to yeah, sit yeah. here and watch anymore um great i think my pool was pretty good on my seal i was pretty happy with it i had however i had no two block armor and basically both my losses were pretty much because of that like i just was missing armor but the actual deck i played kasai was actually good um so i had no complaints after i opened it up had enough blocks had enough blues had enough three blocks it, it was all good enough uh, i managed to squeak out x2 on day one uh i actually went two two at the the first four games uh and just kind of had to win mo almost every game after that uh in order to have a chance um those two losses felt like pretty variance to me and it was mainly because i just didn't have the armor like i couldn't i couldn't pivot swing like my opponents could when they had two block armor um and i just kind of fell behind other than that it just did efficient warrior stuff um you guys could see it on stream i played my winning in on stream uh into a ko there as well got pretty fortunate that he uh, missed his wild ride um as well so uh, that might have squeaked me in but he ended up making it into day two as well so it might have not even been a, a real winning in uh match for him uh the drafts went great uh i went warrior again and then warrior again because it just kind of seemed open and my last pod i think i felt like i was the only warrior i know we had another one but i was basically still a warrior and that deck was the, probably the best deck i've ever drafted um and it just like it was like aggro like normally on warrior you're like blocking and you're like behind and you're trying to play efficient and that deck was just like no i am the aggro deck three for sevens with pumps on top of it i had like seven red pumps i had like four or five three for sevens it was just super aggro um i never i i just like took the pace at the beginning of the game and just never let it up at all three games and i was like this this deck shouldn't exist i don't know what happened um i think i know yeah. what happened <laughs> i was the only warrior well you you were olympia in those ones weren't you i was olympia in those because i had the helmet yeah talk about the difference like how much better is three armor versus olympia uh, versus cast eyes ability it's actually pretty close i think that's what um, i was gonna say yeah yeah but the the armor just allows you to hold more hands cards in your hand and cards are worth more than your weapon swinging for three all right mm -hmm. swinging for free like so like you only need your weapons to swing for free when you don't have cards so if you could just keep cards then it doesn't matter if you're paying for your weapons um, and also it allowed me to keep more hands that were like three for sevens with a pump behind it, which is just devastating. And you can't do that when you don't have the armor to like protect your health. Um, so it was basically like I drafted it, both of those. I just drafted Kasai decks that I happened to just get an Olympia helm real late and went, I guess I'm Olympia now. Okay. So they, they were complete like Kasai decks with yellows and everything else, like ready to go. But the, the helm is just good enough. That three block is just like, okay, I'll switch. Um, to be fair, um, we'll talk a little bit deeper about that, but I did want to uh, cut over to at least talk about the battle harden before we dig more into the calling. Uh, the battle harden was won by Yuki. Yuki has been on a tear. She had a great year last year and she was able to continue it this year. Um, she's just like she had some murmurings like two years ago. And then she just kept winning and topping everything last year. And it's pretty cool that that's continued. 
She ended up bringing KO, which I think was a fantastic choice for this tournament. One, because most people's KO's decks suck. Um, we play against them online all the time, and they just, like, KO's, all the KO decks are just pathetic. Uh, hers was well-refined. She had all the cards. Uh, probably most people didn't have the correct helmet to, to you know, get some advantage against her, you know, the, the balance helmet to draw. So she get, like, an extra, little extra edge there in all the matchups that are kind of close. And I think overall, it was a very smart decision to, to bring KO. And we've been playing with the deck a little bit, um, obviously with, you know, changes or things like that. And it, it's powerful. It's a strong deck. I mean, what do we think about the, the new KO deck? Uh, I can start. I, I think KO is... KO honestly kind of reminds me a little bit about of Phi. Mm -hmm. um, I agree. Obviously, they attack differently. Uh, KO has, you know, like singular large attacks most of the time fire attacking pretty wide but the reason why fire was really good uh, in the past is because you have a go again weapon that for three that costs two and then your hero power lets you snag like an extra point of damage does this sound familiar mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good comparison yeah yeah and so I, I think both of them plays kind of similarly where you're kind of leveraging the fact that your your hero power just gives you like an extra point of value uh, every time you can activate it and so you kind of want to try to activate your hero power as many times as possible uh and then you'll just end up outputting more numbers than your opponent yeah the the hero power comparison is is a is a good uh thing that i hadn't thought of but the one thing that you're definitely much better than phi is blocking right like you're just such a better blocking deck than phi ever was and your your armor is just miles better. Well, I don't know, well, miles better, but like Bonebreaker and Scapskins in Scowling Fleshbag, you know. Yeah, miles. You you literally miles. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's yeah, pretty yeah. insane. I mean, uh, Masco Men and Massive Pouncing Links, like these these cards are good too, but I don't think they compare to the power that brute brute equipment are. Um, yeah, I, th I think you have you have better armor, but. There, you actually do run into some issues blocking because a lot of your cards block for nothing or they block for two. Yeah. Similar to five, but yeah, you definitely have much better armor on average. And then also, you're you, you kind of lose less uh, when you when you block down compared to five. Where five, when you block down to you know two cards, you're kind of doing like a two card seven. Whereas when KO blocks down to two cards, it does like a two card like nine. <laughs> which is kind of ridiculous or sometimes 11 <laughs> yeah sometimes 11. also ko has a better one card hand than phi does as well with you know cast bones yeah yeah cast bones is a messed up card yep i think we all realized that when we saw it you know that card is busted it yeah kind of reminds me a little bit of awakening in like no balance <laughs> like no it's not like it's not bannable but it like when i first read it i was like it's giving me a little tingly feeling inside nothing will compare to awakening no but but, but i do but understand I what you're saying I, it does I get, carry I get what you're order. saying though yeah 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 it certainly yeah. screamed powerful for sure uh but okay in the rest of the battle harden uh we had a second ko we had two bravos we had a kano uh, we had a Dash, a Kasai, uh, and we had one Levia. Uh, and I'll give a little shout out to William there. He's actually a local, goes to my 
um, local store. That was his first top eight. So that was pretty cool to see um, on Levia, which, you know, him and I have talked about a little bit and I brought it to the store, I think like a couple months ago. And uh, he's, he's been talking about it before ever since. And he, then he opens like a, an apex bone breaker at our, uh, like at our pre-release. And he's like, it's meant to be, I'm playing Levia. And it's, and it's pretty cool to see that, that, you know, he took it to the battle hardened and was able to get his first top there. So I thought that was pretty sweet. Unfortunately, he had to, you know, in round one, run into uh, Yuki on uh, KO. And, you know, that's a pretty hard matchup. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome to the big leagues. Boom. They got the top eight with the first top eight. Yeah, I would also like to shout out my friend Pierre. Also, I believe his uh, first top eight. He was the Kasai. And he's one of my locals. So I was like, oh, my boy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do we think of this top? I mean, this is this seems pretty expected, right? Like, they're, they're none of these heroes really surprised me that they they got a top here. Yeah, I, I think um, when when we did the review uh, before the before the battle harden, I think the only big question mark was, you know, are are the KO decks going to be good enough? Because uh, I think we said that KO seems like uh, he presents like a lot of numbers, but it's just like whether or not you can consistently uh, output the the oppre- like the uh, whether you're oppressive or whether you're just like pretty good um and and all it takes is like one or two points um one or two points a turn a difference and you can go from being just like you know kind of like an average pretty good deck into a deck that's like kind of a, a bit oppressive and i think that yuki is kind of onto something with a lot of the cards that she chose to play um, and so I think that what for me was a little bit surprising that Kia is kind of getting figured out so quickly, but then all the other heroes I think are pretty much to be expected. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't too surprised with the the heroes that we saw. I guess I was more surprised to see who was left off with no Dromize in top. Um, it was surprising. the most represented, the most expected, the most, the most represented deck in the field. I would at least expect to see one make it through. No. Uh, I don't know. I I know that uh, Fino uh, and to some, some, to some extent, Jimmy and I, we, I mean, we all played it at Barcelona. Uh, I do think the deck is still really good. Um, nope. You know, it, it's, don't lie. Don't lie to the people. It, it's a I, I'm, not, I'm not lying. I, I promise you. I'm not lying. I think Dromai <laughs> is still a very powerful deck and it does things that no other deck can do. Um and it certainly has some powerful. So I, I don't know. I like to say that I was surprised to see zero Dromai's in top eight. I wasn't. Fino didn't even play Dromai at the Battle Heart. He played well, Kasai. Fino, Fino was Fino was experimenting. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Dromai. It, it's kind of tough because when when we got, were preparing for the last uh, when we were preparing for Worlds. I think you can make the argument that that was like a much more favorable meta for Dromai, where sure. you have where you have like Icelander is like one of the most popular decks, and you know Dromai has a lot of good tools into Icelander or like other arcane damage heroes, right? And and now we're in the format where a lot of the top decks just have like tons and tons of six power attacks. So yep. I, I'm not not really where I want to be. I don't know. Yeah, it just it makes me think of that um, illusionist sort of bad spot, and it was reminding me that just I don't know, like an hour ago, you were playing against the a prism, 
and like ended you as KO and you ended the game at 40 health. And the, the prism just did no damage. They, yeah. Every every round they swung two attacks at you and you're just like, no, no, move on with my life. Like yeah. I'm just gonna swing my weapon at you until you die, essentially. And you start at 32, so you've already taken two claws to the face. Like what how do you even play the game? But uh obviously Dromai is not in nearly as bad of a spot as that. Uh, but it's just that I think the new heroes make her matchups harder. She's she's falling into like two issues. Like one, there's a bunch of new cards that are pretty good. Um, there are still classes that like really struggle with her. Like Warrior can naturally struggle to play into her. But a lot of the matchups that were close, people are getting you are used to playing against Dromai now. So like you're not getting as many free wins from your opponents just like punting the game into you because they have like a year and a half of experience of playing against Dromai at tournaments over and over again. We saw this with Icelander. Like Icelander's like percentage wins started to creep like closer to where they probably should be as people got more comfortable playing against an Icelander deck, knowing exactly the ranges were. And people like stopped just like holding a card for two rounds because they were afraid of dying out of nowhere. You know, they they people have stopped giving Dromai all their free wins. So I think what we're seeing is that some of her win rates are starting to go where they were originally supposed to be if you played properly because like the general public is now starting to play properly. And so it's, it's a lot harder to just pilot Dromai when you have so many, you know, close matchups. I can buy that. I uh, also think that the new uh, headpiece balance is also somewhat of a nerf to Dromai. Just any deck that wants to draw extra cards. Now, I don't know how applicable that was for the battle hardening because a lot of people didn't have it yet, but that can't that like definitely has to be mentioned that that's just a big yeah. error for her sure another chance to get a popper it's great on her big yeah. turn she codexes and you're like thank you let me see if i can get a popper here um okay so i thought the battle hard in top eight was pretty expected it was pretty cool um overall and i i know that those games are slowly being rolled out through this whole week uh, to end on friday so um definitely pay attention to savage feats for that um now, I do want to jump back over to the calling, um, and I'm going to, I think, probably talk about the next section mm, pretty tactfully uh, as I can, uh, and I, I want to start off by just talking about the overall mm, judging of the event that we went there, um, and obviously, I have a lot of respect for the judges. A lot of my friends are actually, you know, are judges or people that I've played with, um, and it's a, a pretty much a thankless job, um, but I will say at this calling, they were trying to train uh, probably too many people at once. And the understanding that the general judges had of how the game was uh, like supposed to be played and what they were supposed to do, I felt like was way lower than we've seen at, at m almost all the events for the last year and a half. Um, many times, like the judges had to uh, really like look up simple rulings or they just ruled like it was a casual event instead of a you know fully enforced professional level event. Um, and I understand you have to train new people, but this felt like a lot. I don't, I don't know if anyone else had very similar experiences that, um, around them throughout the tournament. Uh, I didn't have any judge calls that, that I can remember, but I mean, I just anecdotally, you know, you hear, you hear things and, and, you know, I know we had some, wild wild things happened during this tournament uh, including in you know the finals and you know people being removed from the tournament things like that so you know i i empathize with any side of decision you know where that has to happen so yeah i don't know i i think for me 
I didn't I didn't have to make that many judge calls. I the one judge call that um I had to I had to ask it was a more experienced judge that was handling it and everything went kind of smoothly. I think that the the main thing that I saw overall was just that sometimes it was like a little bit difficult to get uh judges cuz I I think they I don't know if they're like shadowing or, or or what, but um, sometimes you would like ask for a judge and it, it would be slow or uh, or like they they would like you would have to like go through like appeal. I I know that there was like this one one match that was going on that like took forever. I think there there was like some some stuff that that they were handling. And normally I think it would have been done faster, but maybe just because they're going through the process of training. Ended up being slower. There, uh, in the calling, there's only one match that went really long, and that was due to that uh, disqualification. And I don't think that one had to do anything with the new judges. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I made a lot of judge calls through the tournament. A lot of them on myself, or if like my opponent ever didn't like understand an interaction, I'd be like, whatever, judge, and. Uh, Cody and I will talk about this a lot, that we are usually the first to call judges on ourselves, not our opponents. It's like really rare that that happens, that someone calls it on me. And almost every judge call I made, I already knew the answer. I was just like showing my opponent, don't trust your opponent. Um, and almost every one of mine just went fine. So, But I saw a lot of judge calls that I was like, I don't know about that one. Yeah, to be fair, to reiterate, I had the judge called on me zero times the entire tournament. Um, I had a judge called in my games three times, I think, the entire tournament. Two of those times were on stream, um, so people can watch those. Uh, but I will say, it was like me watching like st- st- like games around me. Someone would call a judge, and then like the judge doesn't know how Wild Ride works. It's like, kind of weird. Um, at like a, a professional-level event, like I understand like a battle harden or something, like not a big deal, um, but it was like they had to go look up how that worked. And then I just felt bad for Amanda. Cause you know, Amanda's just like getting referenced like over and over and over again from all the judges, um, <laughs> having to, cause she, you know, she's, she did a great job. I like no really, you know, super complaints about her at the tournament or anything. And it's not really a complaint about the judge program. It's just like maybe have a couple more established people on there. Cause, um, I think it felt like they were ruling it like a casual event for most things. And then, uh, then at, and other, other issues, they were ruling it completely differently. Um, so it, there wasn't a level of consistency across rulings. Um, like sometimes they would just say they would just fix the game state and there'd be like no penalty and they just walk away. And then other times people get disqualified. So it's like <laughs> you have it had a, a wide difference there. Um, I did. I will d- dig in to the actual uh, judge call uh, in the finals uh, of the game because um, I've thought about it a lot. Uh, and I, I just I want to preference this a couple of ways that are very important. One, I'm not saying I, at all that the judge call is the reason I lost that game. Um, I've locked, I've looked I've watched that game three times. I can't find mistakes. I think I played that game at a near perfect level. Um, I would very much welcome so if if people could point out mistakes I made in that game. I felt like I got a, a little unlucky in the finals. To be fair, there were about three hands that if I had drawn a blue, I'd probably win the game off that hand. And I just could not find my blues to save my life, even though I had 10 of them in the deck, um, which is like a bit of a problem. But 
I just felt like I got unlucky in that game. And that happens. I mean, that's, that's, that's top eight. Like you, you gotta, it takes some run good and good play to get to the top eight, but it takes luck to win a top eight because you only got one shot. It doesn't matter, you know, how favored or what position you're in. Look at, look at the first game. Like, look at my top four match. Like I thought I lost, I thought I'd lost the game after turn one. Like <laughs> I opened four reds. I pitched, I pitched three reds, play a draw swords, swing, uh, draw a blue that I can't arsenal and swing for five. And my opponent's just like, yeah, I'll just block with this card. And I'm just like, no arsenal go to you. Like, I was like, I I'm going to do my best, but I'm pretty sure I lost this game. <laughs> um, he had a couple stumbles that let me come back into it. And I was just like, Ooh, it was like, I got unlucky and they got, got lucky again in, you know, in that one game. And that's just kind of how top eights work. Right. Um, but to talk about the actual, you know, uh, judge ruling in the top eight, uh, or in my finals game, uh, my opponent, Mark, and again, I want to preference this. This is nothing as Mark. I think Mark play just made a mistake. It's like not a big deal. Like I'm not. I have no ill will or anything towards Mark. So I don't want anyone who listens to this to take it that way. Right. We've all made mistakes, you know, playing the game. So it's not a big deal. Um, and so mine is more of, I think policy around how they handle the rule. And that's what we're going to pretty much talk about. So my opponent picked up his deck and dealt five cards instead of four cards. He had not looked at them yet. They were laying in a pile. Um, Cause he did this every single time he would, play his cards, but he would wait to see what I did before looking at his cards. Um, that was just his play pattern every single turn. He didn't pick up and look at his cards right away, which is completely fine. I, I do that sometimes as well. I just deal my cards off and then wait and then look at it later. Um, and so he dealt five, didn't realize it. He had them just kind of stacked into a pile. I finally made my, my decision, my turn. Uh, and then he went to pick up his cards to look at them and the judge came over and stopped him. Uh, however, it had flashed the bottom card so it would have been the first card dealt it did flash that card they were able to review that uh it flashed that card they put it back down they counted out over the top they said oh you have five not four um and then the judge started to make a ruling and then amanda came in to to look at everything and ultimately after looking at the footage the ruling that they decided was that they were going to show me the f the card that was flashed which was the first card dealt so it's not the card that he shouldn't have drawn, right? It's not the card that should be on the top of the deck. It is the card that was flashed. They, they reveal it to me and ask me to put it on the top or the bottom. And at the time, I didn't consider the full ramifications of the issue. It's pretty late. I'm tired. And I'm on stream on the finals. Like, I'm just trying to get through the game and, and, and play the game, right? Um, I should have probably slowed down and thought about the situation a little bit more and advocated for myself a little bit better in that situation. But I'll, I'll explain why. Um so he's showing me the first card that he drew. This card should never have been on the top of the deck because it, it wouldn't have been in the situation. Had he just drawn four cards, that would not have been the card on the top of the deck, right? But it is the one that he saw, so that's one they're going to show to me. I didn't consider how it's possible that the last card that he drew, the one that was supposed to be on the top of the deck, could improve his hand. So it's possible that the, the card that he accidentally drew could improve his hand if we follow the method of just showing the card that he flashed and not the actual card that should be on the top of the deck. Um, the chances of that are 25%. If, if you want to know what his hand was, it was uh, two yellows, which is not relevant what they are. Just two yellows. It's a two for six. It's a one for three pump, and it's a blue. So if the card that was supposed to be on the top of the deck is a blue, it dramatically improves his hand. Instead, instead of having um, two yellows, a one for three pump, and then a red two for six, which is 
very hard to play. He has to block, take one more damage. He still swings for the same amount of damage. Um, however, he is he takes one uh, point down and he doesn't have that card on the top of his deck, right? Um, so it does improve his hand. Even if his hand was something else, there's always a chance that last card could have improved his hand. So my actual complaint, and more than likely it had no bearing on the outcome. I've looked through it you know, a bunch of times. Most, more than likely, even if it was the blue, it had no real outcome on the end of the game. But the way that they did make that ruling, they made it in a way where my opponent could have made a mistake and then had a better hand for making the mistake. And no rulings should ever have any chance of that happening. In this case, knowing full information, the chance was 25%. But that chance should always be 0%. So how, whatever the fix or the rule is, or the punishment, however you want to think about it, it should have a 0% chance that my opponent gets an advantage out of making a mistake. And that's my real complaint about the whole situation, is that the way they ruled it at the table not only gave my opponent knowledge of what was on top of the deck, put the onus on me to make a decision with in incomplete information, um, but then possibly improved my opponent's hand uh, by have, letting him keep the extra card that they drew as well. Um, I am curious if some people have some additional thoughts and I can talk about it, you know, a little bit more, but that's my real complaint about this is I think it should be looked at in a way where they need to refine the ruling down. So it, it has a 0% chance of my opponent actually getting an advantage for making a mistake. I know that, uh, you, Anji, you had a brief conversation with Amanda after, after the incident happened, but I, so I, I, and I wasn't part of that, but, um, my my understanding was that um, at looking at it cards, looking at additional cards penalty has always been that the additional card that is seen, if it was placed into the hand, that it is supposed to be to reveal the hand. The player chooses the card to place on top or bottom of the deck. That is the way that I always always thought it was. Now it's not as clear in this situation because he hadn't seen the entire hand which I believe this is where the the issue is with the rule because it wasn't clear as to what happens in this particular situation. Um, because like if you were to just like knock a card off the top of your deck, that's the same thing. But in this situation, it's a little, a little wonky because technically it entered his hand for a second. Like he, from what I saw on the, on the, the coverage, I, I watched it at the airport while I had a very long <laughs> delay, <laughs> um, uh, layover. It, he picked up his hand, and then immediately the judge put his hand back down on the table. So, like it, I, I, he could have probably only seen the very first card. So, yeah, it makes sense why in. they decided to make that ruling, in my opinion. Um, but this, this is uh, to me where the rules need to be probably clarified a bit. But yeah, I can fill in. Uh, Amanda did. I, I did. A, I asked Amanda the same question, and she had a response for me. So, she, so. Basically, the I, I believe that this is part of kind of a, a, a broader uh, movement in how policy is applied. In general, I think there was a change. Uh, it was either like half a year ago or, or maybe a little bit uh, later than that, where they changed the application of policy from being very like always standard to giving the judges a lot more leeway uh or or being able to apply like subjective um like context i think is was what they what they call it so uh, being able to apply context to how they enforce policy 
So Amanda told me that the normally like the fix where you if somebody draws an extra card uh, and then they they show their opponent the whole hand that is supposed to be um, in the in in like the case where the judges and the opponent can't actually um, you know verify like what is the order of the cards. So when I talked to Amanda about Cody's specific situation, she said, "Well, it was because they had the footage. They knew that uh, that Mark hadn't seen anything other than the first card." Uh, based off of like the camera angle that that was showing his hand and then they also at the time they they thought that the card that was shown was the fifth card so they so Amanda believed that this was the best way to most accurately uh, preserve the game state and 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 how to like apply the fix I think that in the context of, you know, some of the cards that are in heavy hitters, cards like Wild Ride, uh, Bear Fangs, etc., that draw off the top of your deck, having information about the card that's on the top of your deck is advantageous, um, even, even if it's just, like, left there. So I think that they probably need to revisit how this policy gets applied or, or how, you know, how you adjust it. So... I, I think it was kind of like a new a new use case um, based off of like like if we were playing if we were playing outsiders uh, unless you were playing like azalea like knowing the top of your deck doesn't like really help that much um, so yeah I think I think it was just a uh, it was like a new situation and and they tried to fix it as best they could yeah I mean I had the I had the same impression um uh, at the time, they they you know they just showed me the card, and I had to you know make the decision what on top about it. I have gotten asked why I put it on top, um, and just to answer the question is my opponent had had a wild ride and a a, a bear fangs in his hand almost every single round of the game, um, and if he had one in his hand this time around, if I put that card on top of the deck, then he has to discard it anyway in order to play it because he can't not play a red card in his hand uh, because he has to give me a card either way. Um, and so I figured it was worth, you know, worth that risk. And in a lot of cases, he hadn't had a brick hand either. So keeping another red on top, there's also a possibility he gets a red, you know, on the second hand as well, like a all red hand or a, a low block hand, um, that's not playable. So, uh, I put it on top. I would have liked to not have to be in the situation to make a game defining this, uh, possible decision with limited information because of a mistake that my opponent made. Um, that feels kind of bad. Uh, to be honest, as like a, a, a fix. <laughs> um, and I just, in the future, I should have spent a little bit more time to actually think about, hey, is it, is it does this solution possibly benefit my opponent? Because I just don't think that is how it's supposed to be. I do understand they rule very lightly in stream games uh, on purpose to you know try and make sure that the games are completed and the games at least look uh, have, have a simulation of how they would have felt without that mistake being made. Uh, and especially the finals, I understand they're going to, try and be as lenient as possible. And I have no complaint about that. I'm not ask, I'm not asking for them to have done, you know, give me a win or something like that. And I don't think necessarily that was why I lost the game either. I think he was probably going to win the game irregardless of what, what was actually on top of the deck at that moment. I mean, if he, if, if they rule that you get to look at his five card hand and pick a card, it's a much different situation. And I think that's why they yeah. didn't want to do that. They didn't yeah. want like, 
attain. And I honestly, I don't want to win that way either. I, and like, that, you said that at the restaurant too. And I want to make sure that that was brought up like, because you, you said specifically when we were at dinner that one of the reasons you put it on top two is because that's where it should have been. Right. Like, I, I don't, yeah. I, I don't know what your thought process is and now versus what it was then. Cause I know you were coming off of a, a tough loss, but if you have anything to say, well, on that. I thought that that originally that, the way they explained it was it was that was the card that was supposed to be on top of the deck, but it was not. It was it, the first card. But at the drawn. time, that's what you thought it was. At, 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 at the time, that is what I thought it was. So it's supposed to be there. I'll you know I can play it that way. But however, that's not what happened, and <clears throat> it was a twenty five percent chance that it that sure. him drawing the extra card improved the hand. After I went down, sat down, and looked through everything, and I went, ah, I should have probably asked for some more questions in that in that spot. But I was really just trying to get going with the game because I'm like I want to know if I win or not. Like. It's like it's like a weird situation. Like it's very important to the outcome of the game. But if you're like sitting in that position, you're like, I just want to play and see what happens. Like I've been, you know, I'm in this position. I just want to play the game. But in the future, uh, I I definitely need to probably spend a little bit more time just making sure that, irregardless of whatever the judge ruling is, that it isn't possibly giving my opponent an advantage for making a mistake. And that that's the only the only point I actually care about. I think Mark played great uh, the whole tournament. I know he, you know. He ended up knocking you out as well. Uh, yeah, he obviously he drafted his seat super well. Um, there's no complaints there. And like I said, more likely than not, it didn't have any outcome on the game. It, it was just the ruling that I actually kind of had the issue with, like how that was uh, handled at that at that time. But that should hopefully alleviate everyone's question that I have been getting constantly is, hey, what actually happened in that you know, judge ruling? Uh, Did you... Think of any way that the judge ruling could have been presented better. Uh, if uh, I had asked to verify that that was that they thought that that was the card that was should be on the top of the deck, right? And it wasn't. The other way they could do it is show me the one that he saw, and then show me the one that was supposed to be on top of the deck, and then I make a decision. There's also a, another way it could be done as well. Um, more than likely, they didn't even need to show me the card that they revealed. They they just needed to show me the like put the one, put it back on top of the deck if you hadn't seen it. Like, that that would have been the, the the best solution, in my opinion, was like, let him keep his original hand and we should have verified which one was supposed to be on top of the deck and I don't care that he saw a card that was supposed to be in his hand, just take the extra card that he didn't see and put it on top of the deck. And then the game is in the state it should have been, right? And there's no one has an advantage either way, right? I think that would have just been a fine way yeah, to Yeah, I agree. It. Um, anything else but that is that is to discourage it from happening in the future and they don't tend to do that on stream they will do that off stream so like if you make that mistake in a game not on stream they will give you a punitive measure to make sure that you don't do it again like a reason not to do it again they won't just fix the game state but on stream they will just fix the game state which is how they have done it they should probably make some streaming rules uh to make it a little easier on judges um but that's a whole different category um, with that said, uh, I, I think this format, uh, is amazing. And I, I do want to talk a little bit and give LSS a lot of props on this sealed format, I think is probably the best sealed format we've ever had in my opinion. Um, and I don't just mean that cause I went six, two, like it was really hard. I, it's just like, you can build multiple different decks and multiple different heroes can get there. And then your, your default hero isn't the necessarily the best hero. And that's not how it's always been. A lot of times it was like Phi was just the default hero and probably the best hero at the same time. Um, what do you guys think of this actual, we'll, we'll never play it again, but this actual sealed format? I'll go last. 
Okay. <laughs> um, I do think I do think that this is one of the best formats for sealed they've ever had. Um, coming from like playing Tales of Aria and you know Outsiders and like like I mean you know there's kind of just been the deck that has been the sealed deck to play you, you know whether it be always Briar or always Azuri or you know like, like all those type of things where, where it's just kind of just been like. After, you know, playing in your pre-releases, everybody kind of figures it out, and it's just kind of these things. Heavy hitters, I don't think that's the case. Like, I think that there are at least two very good heroes um, in Kasai and Ko. These heroes are quite good, and it doesn't always come together, but, like, Betsy is still also very strong. Like, you, like I think that it's hard to put that pool together because, you know, it, it does require, like a large number of blues to be viable, like, because just the, you know, most of her cards cost three plus. Um, so, you, you know, that has an extra hurdle to tackle onto it, but like there were like Ellie uh, went, uh, I think she went X one and only lost to Yuanji with Betsy that she had uh, her, her sealed pool was very good as Betsy. Um, you know, it, and I, th- those games were all recorded. Uh, well, at least some of those games were recorded on stream, so you guys can look at those for yourself and see how how those pools look whenever you do get the good Betsy pool. Um, so I, I think that LSS has done a great job um, making a well-rounded sealed pool and something that, you know, I think that they should try to replicate. And I think the big thing that pushes it this way is, honestly, the number of two blocks in the set. Like so, and, and and it's funny because you would think that putting you know something that most people feel is two blocks are, are bad, which they, they are, but it, it actually kind of drives the game forward naturally themselves because you know whenever you have every card blocking for three or every card like wanting to block for three, you know the games kind of drag on and you get these kind of fatigue games and. We don't have that very often. Even though Jimmy says that he thinks he can do it, I I haven't seen it happen uh, as much as uh, he seems to think. But I have seen almost every game come down to you know I'm going to win the game on pure damage alone, or my opponent just blocks until they die. But. I I think the sealed format is better than uh, all the other sealed formats that we've had so far. Um, I think one thing that uh, I because I I'm coming to Flesh and Blood having played Magic, Magic sealed. I think one of the things that people either either hate or love about Magic sealed is that you know a lot of a lot of uh, how you decide to take your sealed deck is largely driven by like whatever rares you open, right? So you're just trying to play the most rares as possible. Uh, and I think that there, there's a lot of merits for that because it means that the, that the game designers can, can create these like really powerful cards and kind of, um, incentivize people to, to want to play with them. And I think that in heavy hitters, there are definitely a lot of like really powerful cards. A lot of them are equipment, uh, as rares. So if you open like a hot streak, if you open, you know, like a rare helmet, um, it's like a pretty good signal for for you to want to play that hero and there's some other cards like if you open like a double down a big bet whatever you know what i'm saying and i i feel like this kind of is a break from a lot of the other sets in the past where just being consistent was a lot more important 
where you know you're just like playing your your commons uh and don't get me wrong i think i think having some amount of consistency low variance is part of the reason why a lot of people got into flesh and blood but i think to make you know the seal format more interesting more varied and also just like more approachable for everyone i think having these like really powerful cards is a good thing Agreed. I think three for sevens in the format, the amount of them there are has really shaped the format uh, of sealed positively. Um, and I would like them to put more three for sevens in sealed pools because uh, make everything block for two. <laughs> yes, that block for two made it a lot more interesting, I think. Uh, James, your thoughts. So I'm going to start out saying I think sealed is just a bad format for pretty much every card game uh, and shouldn't be a competitive format. Um, if we're talking about casually or like less competitive, I'm actually, uh, the more I played it, I actually really liked heavy hitters. Like it was like fine, but I think bright lights was probably one of the better sealed formats I've ever played for a casual standpoint. Uh, not competitive. It was awful competitive, but the fact that you could take any three or four packs and put them together and kind of learn the game through that and not have like class or anything and be able to play a hundred percent of your cards. I thought that was really interesting, but then Jimmy just wants to count to three euros. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but then competitively bright lights was the worst format we've ever had. So, you know, whatever. How many keywords um, did they have to learn from that? <laughs> whenever you were doing. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. And, uh, but with uh, heavy hitters, I think if we're just, whatever, comparing it to all the sealed formats in FAB competitively, it's probably one of the better ones. Might be the best one competitively, but then I don't want to play this format competitively, so kind of irrelevant. And coming into it, everyone said this isn't a fatigue format, and I do nothing but fatigue people in heavy hitters. Uh, I just take all of my like two block equipment if i have them i just put them on my heroes i don't play like flat trackers unless it's against a uh, guardian or whatever and then i just like outvalue people and a lot of games do end up where i just present more number and fatigue through fatigue somebody through damage but i don't know like i just made a ko deck almost at all my pre-releases i 5-0 the rabble event i went 7-1 at the calling and all my pre-releases, I went like 21 and 1 or something. Um, I just like added it up. I went 33 and 2. And I think all but a couple of those games, I fatigued somebody. I don't I don't really understand why people don't don't get it, but whatever. And like we don't have a weapon that attacks for four. A lot of cards block for two. But like the like four block cards and like all the defensive cards you can play just like really warp the format and this sealed format is way less powerful than the draft format like it's two different formats and this is one of the formats that i felt that like really shine the most i don't know i it's fine and i don't think my sealed pool in most of my pools were very good um i had one like really broken guardian pool during a pre-release but other than that every pool i've played has been just absolutely terrible like my um calling pool was not good i i would not wish that upon anybody well 
you have a very unique way of looking at uh, the sealed <laughs> format. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, I thought the games were fun to play. I thought there was a lot of skill expression in the games, um, in your micro decisions. Um, obviously, you have to have a deck to come to play with in sealed, and that's kind of like the barrier of entry is like, are you tall enough to ride this ride? Uh, most of the time I am not, but in this case I was. And uh, <laughs> uh, I thought overall, I obviously enjoyed the event. I got second, right? Like, uh, I do have to get, I have to jump on a soapbox before we go into some of our questions, though. I am so, such a salty little boy about like not winning that tournament. Like, you have no <laughs> idea. Like, last two days, I've been so salty. I was so salty after the game. Uh, I, it was like the first time, it's like one of the first times like I lost a tournament. I couldn't like go back and be like, I made a mistake. Like, if you make it to the finals, like the only game that matters is the game that you played in the finals. Like if you lose your winning in, and this is not a, a dig at you, Pat, but like if you lose your sure. winning in, you can you you can always think about like I sh- maybe I shouldn't have lost like two rounds ago, like that that loss. Maybe I shouldn't have lost that one, right? And then I don't have to be in this situation. But like when you're in the finals, none of your past losses in the tournament are actually relevant anymore. So that excuse doesn't work. All that actually matters is the game in the finals. It's like really weird for people who have never gotten second before. I've gotten second a lot. I've never won a big tournament. Uh, but like none of those other games matter. All that matters is the actual finals match. And like, dude, my luck was terrible. And I think I played that thing like pretty flawless. I would love, uh, if anyone thinks I made a mistake, if you could comment what the mistake was, I will review it and I will comment if that is correct or not. Uh, and maybe you'll teach me something, which will be sweet. If I learned something that I made a mistake in there. Oh, that'd be awesome. If I could blame myself instead of random universe luck. Right. Um, that is just me being a salty boy. Uh, it hasn't sink in that I like, it's actually a real accomplishment. Like right now it just kind of feels like, eh, I got second, but it's like not very good to be fair. I didn't top anything at all last year and I finally broke the streak. So I will eventually be happy. I know Yuanji said in a couple of months, I will be happy and I will be proud of the accomplishment, but currently right now getting second just like, doesn't feel like anything. Like I'm more proud of like RTNs that I've won than getting second at this calling right now. Uh, but that's just me being like a little salty boy. So. Feel free to also call me a salty boy in the comments. That's fine. I, I'm well aware that I am speaking from a privileged position and should not uh, be complaining as much as I am, which is why the only thing on my Twitter right now is just says unlucky. Like there, I didn't make a post recapping anything. I was not in a mind space. I'm like, I should probably censor myself for a couple of days till I can actually talk about it in like a happy way. Um, and Pat knows there's several people that he's he knows that are like this after they lose tournaments. And uh, it's just how I've always been uh, as well. So that's just, that's me on my soapbox about the tournament overall. Obviously it was, it was awesome. And I'm actually more happy about how many people and runaways we had potentially in top eight. We had to go through each other to get there because like there was no one else to stand in our way. Like if we didn't stand in our own way, we were just going to fill all of the slots in the, in the top eight. So we had to stop ourselves. Um, I think all of our prep as a team and talking about everything really paid off at that event. And I think it showed up um, as well. I mean, we had, you know, we had eight people, going in and you know we had connor and dalton and craig going into day two were also all you know viable to make it in um and then right going into the last draft connor naib myself uh pat yuanji uh james uh i'm forgetting someone but we, we all we were all dalton yeah we were all live going into the last draft like it was ridiculous how many people we had Going like if any of us three oh we're all in and Yuanji was already in because it was easy for him. Yeah, he, was he, like was taking, he was like taking he was like taking a nap. Yeah, I, I did three oh. Yeah, second try. I, I wound up to Yuanji and said, "Hey, can you please three oh so that some of us can get in at three like <laughs> at exit <laughs> yeah, three? Yeah. I need you to I need I you to dream crush some people, please." I tried, and he did. He succeeded. It was a good team effort. 
So, okay. Any other thoughts on the calling? Um, I know we have Naib going to Liverpool next this weekend to try and run it back uh, because yeah. this time he will not run into me and his winning in, uh, which would be great. So we'll, we'll be cheering on Naib again in this format. Um, but any other thoughts before we jump into our questions from the Discord? I am shocked that Lucas did not win the Battle Harden. He didn't even top the Battle Harden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Washed. Washed. <laughs> He played Bravo. What did you expect? Yeah. To him, Bravo the top with the bad deck. <laughs> I think Bravo, Bravo's fine. <laughs> you shouldn't just bring a deck that's fine to a tournament. That's just my opinion, I guess. Well, I mean, we, I, we I, think Bravo, Bravo. I think Bravo's good, but you have to attack it, I think. For the meta. Yeah. The, the, I think Lucas wasn't teched for Kano. And so I, I believe he lost, he lost to Yuki and he also lost to Kano. Did he, did he lose to Majin? Because shout out to Majin for getting, what, second place? Good for him. Yeah. He's, yeah, oh, he's been impressive. doing great with Kano. There were a lot of Kanos running around. Let's, 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 let's hope that people actually take a second to learn that Kano's a real deck. Donate some sideboard slots to beat this deck so that we can forget about it for a little bit. And hopefully it'll be gone for the Pro Tour. <laughs> Yeah, put those Oasis Rush Spites into your deck and put some AB in your deck. It's just a couple of slots just to help you out. Play I mean, the new Hellbolt. We're not... We're not yeah, we're play, not some spell, just play some Spell Void pieces if you really are scared, you know. The, the new Helmet's not a joke. You should... If you don't have Arcane Barrier in that spot, you should run the new Helmet. Yeah, the Balance Helmet is so good yep. against Kano. What are they going to do? Not draw cards? <laughs> so... Okay, uh, let's jump into our Discord questions. As always, these are asked by our uh, premium members. If you would like to ask questions on the podcast, uh, feel free to join the link below, and you can get your questions asked every week, along with a bunch of other uh, great giveaways, freebies, videos, uh, talking with us, talking with the other people who have signed up for testing. I, I jump in there from time to time and see people like scheduling meetups with other people who are serious about taking you know, the game to the next level. Uh, just because you don't have people locally doesn't mean you can't make a community of people to practice with. So uh, if interested in any of that or just drafting for free, feel free to join the link below. Okay, enough of my plug. Let us go into some of these questions. So question number one is from Dan. Uh, Dan is in Disney this week, and that is why he is not on the podcast. Uh, and that's why he also wasn't at the calling because the amount of people who asked me, hey, where's Dan? You don't have a lot of people here. And I was like, the only person we don't have here is Dan and like Charles. Like, we have a lot of people here <laughs> just because those two are here. Doesn't mean that most of the team isn't here. Uh, I always thought that question was funny. Okay. He asks, what was everyone's favorite moment from calling Hartford weekend? Oh, I, I have a good one. So uh, I was talking to Michael Fang near the bathroom when the, like I, I had finished my round and I was just like chatting him up. Then uh fino and a bunch of his friends were i think sitting uh at a table that was close to me so i was kind of using him as a gauge to like see like whether or not the round had started so i was just like talking to to michael i didn't know that fino had not uh was not a part of the tournament anymore <laughs> so I, I walk up to him after my conversation and and i'm and they're asking me like my record i'm like oh i'm xo and then they're like already I'm like what do you mean they're like they're like, how did you finish so fast? And so I was, well, like, I think th at that point, like four minutes late to my round. <laughs> I, I sit down 
the, the timer is at 30 minutes. Uh, it starts at 35. Uh, the judge comes, tells me that I have an IP2 penalty. And, you know, it's not fine, but I guess it's fine. Like, I, I appeal. The head judge said, no, it's upheld. Okay. Uh, I proceed to somehow draw, like, the magical sequence of cards where I go first. I open my only... Um, what is that card that that buffs the defense of an attack? Uh, I forget what it's called. The new uh, reinforce the line. No, 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 it's no the reinforce the line. Yeah, reinforce the line. So I open a red reinforce the line. I put that in my arsenal, and I'm just like blocking for the first like two turns because I have IP penalty. Uh, my opponent uh, makes is who's also playing KO makes like an agility of my token and and puts out this like huge turn. Uh, I think it was like 15 or 16 damage, and I'm like, nope, I have this reinforce the line in my arsenal. I, I ended up taking like like two or three damage total, and then I needed, in addition to that, a combination of him whiffing on uh, bear fangs and me just like YOLO drawing into a two-cost attack so I could go like wild ride claw two-cost attack. And, you know, everything lined up, and, and somehow I won the game at one through IP penalty. Better lucky than good. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably did it with, like, one arm on the table, like, real lazy. I don't know if you've ever played against... If you haven't played against Yuanji, it is an experience. Because he looks like he's trying to take a nap while you're playing the game with him <laughs> the entire time. Like, like throws the cards around. It's, it's great. It's, uh, it's a great time. That's why I said it was easy for you. You just look... You always look... You always look like you're half bored, like you're thinking about something else while you're playing the game. I know yeah, you're not. Man. I know you're actually thinking about the game, but the look <laughs> on your face is just like you're just thinking about what you're gonna do after you're done beating this person in front of you. Yeah. You can't you can you can't let them know what you're thinking about. <laughs> yeah, you want you won't even table talk with you. It's ridiculous. He won't even table talk with us. Like yeah. if, if we if we play him in the tournament, he won't even talk to us. Yeah. He's a stone wall. Just a, no, just no a table wall. talk. <laughs> He's got that stonewall confidence. Ooh. Yep. It's a good one. Um, I think that the my favorite uh, moment, I guess, obviously besides all the excellent uh, games that we played and the results that were put up, but the, the game I played against uh, Connor on our team in the uh, second draft where, where everybody's live for top eight, was probably one of the the silliest game and end finishes to that game where I had by all intents and purposes like lost this game. I was just so 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 dead. Um, but like through a series of magical plays where I had to have a reinforce a red reinforce the line to dodge a overpowered uh, concuss to like maybe discard a card, and then in like the the final stages of the game. Winning, winning a clash with a blue trade in to make an agility token when the opponent was revealed a zero <laughs> to make an agility token and then uh, swing uh, claw for four into pack hunt intimidate your last card has to hit the three block for me to win the game like like everything like so many things had to go right for me to win this game and I was like this is the, this is going to be the game that that bolts me up into that three zero and. It was great, and, and Connor played it great. His Betsy deck was amazing, and uh, he, by all intents, had a better, better, uh, better deck. But you know that's why we love playing flesh and blood games like that, where you know, you know, you, you have these, you know, 
amazing games that finished like crazy like this and it just reminded me like how much I love it and um, props to Connor for you know doing as well as he did and you know I just wanted to make sure I gave him a shout out on that, <laughs> that game because it was just so amazingly funny to finish the end of that game but um, funny for you. I really enjoyed it. And I, I, at the, the time, I'm sure he didn't enjoy it, but about it now, I think that he'll enjoy it a little bit later after he misses, reminisces on it a little bit more. I uh, I have two short ones because I couldn't think of anything I can say on the podcast. My uh, MVP card of the weekend in both sealed and draft was blue performance bonus because I would get people the one at the end of the game, arsenal it, and be like, you have to give me a full card. Uh, but like my, my actual favorite moment was on Friday night, uh, me and my group went over to bears barbecue and I just walk in and one of my friends like runs over to me and he's just like, Hey, you want food? I'm like, I'm in a food place to get food. Of course. He just hands me a tray of food. And I was just like, what is this magical Christmas land that I'm in right now? <laughs> and because they like fucked up his order and just gave him a tray, an extra tray of food. So I got a tray of food. And there you go. Food is a love language for me. So if you want to get on my good graces, just hand me some food. So shout out to Kyler for, you know, getting me food. But ooh, blue performance bonus, real good. Got to like really squeeze out all the value of your deck to win. <laughs> But yeah, tell I mean, us, tell us, Cody, my, what was your favorite moment? Well, it wasn't the finals, so I'm going to put that out. I'm just going to let everyone know that ahead of time. Um, it's kind of all centered around the same thing. I think I think my my favorite moment is that top four game. I'm pretty proud of that game. Uh, like, my mental didn't break. I think I opened in a way that in almost most draft formats, you would just immediately lose the game. Like, on the spot, you can't arsenal. You swing five uh, going second. <laughs> with your whole hand like it's a four card five no arsenal is like pretty much over for most cases i was very proud my mental didn't break at all <clears throat> i still i think played that game nearly flawlessly as well um at the end and I, that's the only reason i even had close so i was very happy with my performance there um outside of it like every round i would like text my girlfriend so after i got top eight i'd be like hey i made top eight and then she like freaks out and then i'm like hey i won my top eight and then she freaks out again and then hey i won my top four and then and then she just sends me a picture and on her like big screen tv she just has my game playing she has no idea what the game is going on but she like, she's even tuning in to watch the game so that you know overall that's kind of like outside uh with the whole experience like that, that was probably my favorite you know moment of the whole thing uh and then i lost and there was no happy moments left uh, for the rest of the time i was there okay uh next question um we have after seeing brute rise in the meta what do you think would happen if ice came back uh, I will uh, assume that the heroes released in similar power as they are right to now. And this is from Millen. So what do you think would happen if Ice came back? Brute mm, would be I bad. Like <laughs> Just I, like I, I like Ice. I don't think that's I true. Mean, I, don't, I, I realize that some people think that that just the existence of Ice uh, Frostbites are not a good thing for the game. But if you don't have something putting some of these aggro decks in check, you're going to have some very uninteractive games. So maybe be careful what you wish for people. You know, if you uh, now are going to see the rise of KO and Leviathan, just come just, you know, hammer your face in on every turn of the game for the rest of the game or have agility tokens and swinging five card hands, you know, that's, that's the, what you now put yourself into whenever you don't have some sort of control element in the game. So 
I think that it'd be fine. Bring it back. I, I embrace the winter. <laughs> I agree. I, I don't know. Like, Reiner was always pretty decent into Oldham, I think. Um, when when those decks were floating around, Brute is kind of weird. Where because the because like their cards are usually like rated around paying two, you a lot of times just have like extra resource floating around. And then sometimes you get to make use of it, and then your turn is like bananas. Uh, so I think in in that way, I think Brute would actually do okay against Ice. Um, I think if anything, Ice is kind of detrimental to some of the Brute counters. Like Azalea hates Ice, <laughs> and uh, so I think I think it'd be it'd be it'd be a good time in the in the in the Savage Lands. I always thought of Reinar as like a Yeti. He just like embraced the ice and just ran through it. So I don't know. I, I think ice would be good for the game. Uh, Dromai would probably get better because then she would actually have a deck she can beat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question here. Uh, based off pre uh, your previous tier list, what surprised you about the two tournaments results? Um, both the PTI in um, Manila and then also the Battle Hardened in Hartford. Also, thoughts on Victor moving forward is Bravo just the better Guardian to play, and that is from two drops. So, do we think our tier lists were right? Uh, we didn't talk about Manila, right? So, like that that tournament, I think there was like three or four fives. Yep. I think there's an, an, an Akatsu. That was a Blitz tournament, right? No. no. The, the PTI event with CC, the. Um, Battle Hardened, or the, uh, yeah, the Battle Hardened was. But the one that Victor won was, was Blitz. Blitz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Battle Hardened was Blitz, but but the PTI event, I think there were a lot of a lot of Phi decks uh, floating around. I I think that the the main reason why Fives or, like, Ninja is, like, doing pretty well is just because there there weren't like I, I think in in the u.s battle hardened there was like the second most represented deck was victor and i think that victor playing any like number of his like gold generating block cards just like completely shuts down any ninja opponents uh and i don't know i, I think our tier list was more or less correct um all the heroes that like I don't think any of the C tier C tier heroes that we listed um, did well. Uh, I think I forget where we where we ended up putting Phi. Uh, I think we put him at what, like the bottom of A or or the top of B. I think we put him at um, B. Yeah, so I think like all 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 the heroes that were like near the top of B or, or higher like did pretty well. I think that we we all kind of predicted that Dromai wouldn't do so hot, um, despite what a lot of other people are saying. And I think like the only thing that I'm surprised about was that there wasn't um, like a like a dash player that that did really well. Yeah, I agree. Because uh, I think that deck is still pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, I think it was pretty close. Uh, the as far as uh, an early tier list. Okay, next question here. Um, what what do you think the Shadow a Brute non-attack action uh, needs to be from the next Monarch set for the story set to be good? This is coming from Matt. Uh, so I'm guessing this is asking 
Um, what, what, what do you think the next Shadow Brute non-attack action card, uh, i.e., like blood dripping frenzy, needs to be in the next part of the Monarch story? Okay, I, I didn't. Uh, okay, I didn't get. Yes. I didn't get. So I, I have. First. Thank you for. I, yes. I, I have. I have a context. Yeah, so I have a good have answer. It, you for have this. it already. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Well, I don't know if, if he means like what do you, what does brute need in order for blood dripping frenzy to be good, but I know exactly what shadow brute needs, and shadow brute needs a non attack action that draws cards and discards them, and if you discard sixes, something happens. <laughs> so like a cast bones, but straight to your graveyard. Yeah, like I th I think um, one of the biggest issues that Levia has is kind of at the very beginning of the game when you don't have a graveyard, you need to somehow assemble a graveyard. And so I think it'd be really cool if they made a majestic that, you know, it's just like you just like you play it, you draw like one or two cards and then you discard a card from your hand, uh, one or two cards from your hand, depending on how many you drew. So it's like card negative. But then if you discard a six, then it does something. Ooh, I can see I that. Like that. I like that. So you're saying like draw two, discard two, and then for every six you discard it this way, your next Make attack token. plus two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, some, something like that. Plus two might be a little bit too powerful. It's like a plus four. Yeah, on, so on it could cost it could cost two, and then you draw two, discard two, and then for every six you get, you get plus two on your next attack. You could also like just not give it go it, again. Yeah. No, it has to have go. No, again. no, no I mean, it has to have go. Again. It has to have go again. Yeah, but uh, if yeah, loves action points. If Dromai can get a codex, uh, <laughs> yeah, surely, surely you can <laughs> make a codex for Levia. Levy you can make it. You can even make it cost one. You can even make it cost one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I think costing one. Yeah, okay, yeah, costing one. You draw two, discard two, and then you get plus two for each six that you discard. That'd be. I think that'd be a great card. But you, can even, you can even make it a yellow. Even make it a yellow. Okay. Yeah. Next question here is going to be any predictions for how the meta will react to KO? Uh, they're going to play it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I you can't beat them. Join that, them. Uh, People will be very cognizant. Uh, as soon as Yuki's list gets posted, they're going to do a lot of testing against it. It's going to be the kind of the standard uh, list to test against, and we will see if people are able to adapt to it, or if people will just say, "Hey, we think this is the best. So we're going to play this." So I know that we've been looking at it already, um, one day in. So my uh, my thoughts is kind of weird. My mind's always on fatigue. Uh, out of the three brutes. KO's the only one I feel like you can actually fatigue. And that also might like warp the meta around it. Cause normally, like, you play Brute so you can beat Guardian. But if Guardian can somehow, you know, fatigue out or beat out the KO, maybe people might lean into the other Brutes because they just went KO. I don't know. That one's a little weird. I personally think that KO can be fatigued. Yeah, I also, I also I do. I have, I've done it. The Kasai Copium is going to be even higher because they think they win that matchup. Um, I don't know. I'm Kasai's dead to me. It, it, it's done. I, I'm just going to publicly yes. announce it. I think that I think that deck over. is I think the deck is overrated. Uh, I think that it is has some completely terrible unwinnable matchups, and even with the matchups that it's good into, it's just fine. Whatever. I'm done with Kasai. I'm disappointed. I am I, disappointed. I agree. I agree. I'm so sad. I yeah. spent like the last three weeks on it. But Dynamos is a messed up card. That's what we learned. The card is great. Yeah. The deck is the deck is good. It's just fine. 
Like I said two weeks ago, the deck is fine. Yeah. Less sad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be a, a, the deck I played for, you know, the next six months, but it shall not be that deck. Okay. Uh, next question here. Any key moments during the calling that benefited you because of your deep level of practice? Cody made. And this is by Siphon. Because he drafted like 35 times at least. <laughs> I think yeah, it was, it was like it was like 24, 25, but yes. Uh, I, I made sure to make sure to bring up Cody's preparation because it was, you know, hey guys, you guys better be drafting this week. <laughs> like, you know, it was, and he was making sure to make sure where our heads were down and making sure we were getting drafts in. Um, and if you guys aren't in the Discord, you guys really should get in there if you have any aspirations to try to draft this set at any competitive level. Drafts are firing all the time. Get in the Runaways Discord if you're not already. And I keep trying to tell everybody um, it's a great access tool for just even trying your first ones. But the amount of work that that Cody put in, I was just amazing job, Cody. And it clearly showed how much you put into prep you put into the tournament. I agree. I appreciate it. Thanks. Okay, let's go to the next last question of the day. When when drafting, what exactly are you committing to memory? All cards in the pack. All cards in pack one, just bombs. And then also for gameplay, do you have perfect knowledge of both pitch stacks? And this is from Julian. So what, what are you memorizing when you're drafting? I want to see Jimmy's answer. <laughs> He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Jimmy, Jimmy's the master of, of, of memory. Um, so of, of, in of counter pitch stacking, right? The counter pitch. Stack. Oh, I love counter pitch stacking, but like, <laughs> let's go from the top. So like when, when drafting, uh, I look at the first pack and usually the first thing I look at is like uh, similar to Yuanji, like all the cards that could send a signal that are like bombs. And I tend to lean towards whatever has the least amount of one class. So if there's like five good warrior cards and one brute card, I'll take the brute card and let everyone else have the warrior cards. And then the other thing I'm looking in that is like, okay, if I take this brute card, what am I think I'm going to get back? And then like each pack, like pack I get after that, um, I care a little bit less and less. Like pack two, I'm just like, I don't care what the person to my left is drafting. Uh, I'm just going to take whatever is best for me and maybe just try to wheel something. But the draft that Cody and I were in, uh, the second round of drafting, we're like in pod three or something. Um that was one of the like best draft portions I've ever had in a rated event ever. Um, I ended up at the end of pack two, I had 27 playables in my deck and one equipment, which was my headpiece. So my deck was already done and I managed to wheel every single card that I wanted. And I was like, what is going on? Is this real life? And then pack three, I did the no, no and hate drafted, um, Hot streak, hot which streak. is just, yeah. I I took this hot streak right from you, Cody, and uh, didn't even need it. I, he didn't, didn't need it. Yeah, he didn't even need it. And oh man, I ended up having like forty one cards from my deck, and I had that was the only one I didn't have. Oh man, that that, that draft was amazing. Yeah, I, I, I was aggressively wheeling everything I wanted. I'm like, you know what? I bet I could wheel this, and I was like, let's see it. And then it came back around, and I'm like, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I, Let's kept, go. Like, I kept taking the generic out of the pack, and I was like, I'll get my Guardian card back. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. And then, like, in an actual draft game, um, if I think the game could ever go to fatigue, I'm just very uh, concerned about what I'm pitching and the order I'm pitching them. And just the moment I hit second cycle, I'm just, like, watching my opponent's stack especially in this format, if they have, like, no blocks or something down there, I'm just waiting until they, like, have the no block in their hands so I can just kill them. And if you can do that, you have, like, a huge advantage over your opponents. And I think that's where I got a huge edge to answer the last question in Sealed. Because I would just wait for all my Brute opponents to, like, draw their wild ride, and I'd be like, okay, you're dead. Yeah. Anytime I see my opponent pitch a power card or red card, any anytime there's, like, you know the light, you know, the flashlights go off and you're like, oh, that card's not supposed to be in the pitch stack. That's supposed to be being played at me. That's when I'm starting to, like, watch out and be like, okay, how many cards are in your deck now? How many more hands roughly is it going to be for until that card enters your hand again? That was huge in Bright Lights whenever you were tracking, like, overpower cards and you're like, okay, I got to make sure I have my block card in my hand whenever that card comes back. Um those are the things that I think that I'm watching, and then I usually um, I, I like to say I'm sometimes I'm I'm good at it, sometimes I'm not good at it of keeping track of my own stack. But um, normally I'm just kind of watching to see you know when the power cards come back from my opponent. Yeah, I mean I'm in the same boat. When I'm drafting, uh, I'm only looking at what's going to wheel, and I really only really care about tracking it on pack one. So on pack one, I will take my card and go, okay, what do I think I'm going to wheel in this pack? And then I send it. And then I, when the pack comes back around, I go, am I correct? Did I wheel the cards I thought I was going to? And how many are left? So if there's like three warrior cards. I take one. I pass around one warrior card. Good chances are like one warrior, unless they're like right next to me and they took like a three for seven or something. Right? So I'm like, oh, one warrior. If it comes back and there's no warrior cards in that pack, then I knew there was two and other stuff people would want. I go, oh, no. Um, that, that might be a problem, right? Uh, but, but you can also tell like what wheels. So like if I send like a red and a blue, it comes back around and like, I get the red and I'm like, Oh, I take blue. Like that's fine. Like I know that my chances of wheeling blues are a lot lower in pack three because my other warrior person did not take a blue, right? They took a red. And so like, that's like the really like in-depth stuff that you can like pick up on. So then you know what you can wheel and can't wheel in future packs. And that's all I'm doing in pack one pack one. I'm just picking stuff from my deck and I'm just seeing what wheels so that I can aggressively try and wheel stuff in pack two and three uh, so that I can be like really greedy with my picks in the, in the first cycle around. And like in our pack, uh, James, like there, there was another warrior and there was two gloves that came around and the first gloves went around. And I'm like, I'm not picking this up no matter what. I'm pretty sure they're going to grab it. And then the other gloves I saw was going to get back to me last pick. It'd be the last pick in the pack. And I said, I'm gonna wield this shit. And I spent it around and it came back as my last pick was my two black uh, love. And I was like, so in that moment, that? when that moment, when you call it and it happens, you're just like, yes, I'm a God. It, 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 it feels so <laughs> good. Oh. I, I had a very similar moment where I did that at Bright Lights draft. And I, I, I said the words, I'm a God. <laughs> I said yeah. those exact words. <laughs> I, I, I think it was like a yellow backup protocol that like made my deck so insane. And I was like, it's going to be the last pick. I know it. I promise. <laughs> yeah. And so like, that's what I'm doing in draft. Um, most of the time and you, uh, you got to track what gets picked up and what doesn't come back in the pack so that you know how aggressive you can be in pack two and three, um, and like how important those early picks are. And then in the actual games, 
I, most of the time I know the pitch stack depends on what I'm in tune with or if it's relevant. Again, I typically track cards that are relevant. Um, and I do this even at, like locals, but this is, it's almost second nature because of chain stacking. It became like really common. Most of the time I don't have like, I'm not going to be like, Hey, it's 12 from the bottom and it's this exact card. But what I know is it's like in four hands, they're going to have that card that I memorize for them to, to have, you know, somewhere in that range, they're going to have it. And that's like most of what I do. If it's a really intense match, um, or if, if the pitching is highly relevant, then p counting their deck and doing it officially is like the right way to do it. But you can only really do that when you don't have, you're not timed and the match is going to call for it. But most of the time you just need to keep an idea. Oh, second cycle, they're going to have, you know, a fatal engagement. I, I need to realize they're going to have a fatal engagement when that comes back around. And that's, that's really what you're doing. You want to, anything different for you? What do you do? You're, you're like a madman with drafts. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, there's like a lot of other stuff that I'm tracking during the draft. <clears throat> I use like pack one and two to like kind of figure out how many of each, uh, hero there are. So I like each pack, I'm basically like counting how many cards there are for each class or hero. And then based off of what I see coming back around, I like adjust my numbers for like what I think, uh, like how many people are in each I, I try to have I don't like count exactly but I have like a I have like a sense for around how much the packs are skewed towards blues or towards reds because usually like the packs that are open aren't um, they're not like evenly distributed reds or blues at like a certain point in the draft so I'll like adjust my picks based off of that and then the other thing is like for equipment so I'll try to keep track of like which, which equipments have gone around. And like the only thing that like keeping track of like exact numbers of all the heroes that are in in the draft, the only difference that that makes is you might like shift your pick order a little bit. So like if I know, for example, that there's, it's like a two warrior draft, right? And I'm, I might pick the, um, the blade break two vigor chest a little bit higher just cause I know that like that that card normally isn't very good, but you know, a lot of the better warrior decks can, can make vigor quite easily. And so, you know, that card is going to go up significantly in, in value. So it's usually stuff like that. And I don't really track my pitch much at all during, during the game. Uh, I, like I, I'm cognizant of the cards that I'm pitching to the bottom. So I try to like, not, leave myself with just like fumes at the end of the game but i try to just like focus most of the time on you know like uh making sure that each turn i play like as efficiently as possible the only exception is when my opponent pitches like you said like if my opponent pitches like a yellow fatal engagement i'm like whoa i gotta look out for that in the future <laughs> Exactly. I, I love it when your opponent and they like, they have like two reds or they have like a red to yellow and they like put them together and put them down in the pitch. And I, I'm always over there spreading their cards. Like, no, 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 no. I need to see exactly what you're pitching. Uh, see that all the time where people are just like, they just clump all the cards together or when they block, they put all the blocks. Yeah. 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 They block, they put all the cards on top of each other. And I'm like, it's, are you trying to get a tell out of me if I'm searching for attacks when you block to see like what I have? Cause like, it was like only a thing this weekend. It's not something I, I've dealt with in CC much. People just put their cards out in CC most of the time. But like this weekend, I only played Warrior like the whole entire tournament. So I kept having people who would just put all of their cards in a pile as their block. 
so I couldn't see like what the card type was. I don't know if they were doing it on purpose or not, but it was weird because I had to keep spreading their cards out to see if I was going to use a reaction or not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I saw that as well. Uh, I'm often also looking at what your opponent is blocking with too. So like if you stick it up in a pile, like it's much harder to like see what they are and get any inferences about like with their hand because like whenever you're doing that, that's all, that's how I'm often engaging. If I have to make a decision like, you know, that's questionable seeing what they blocked with can give you a lot of information about their hand. Something I I really like to do. So most people do not track their own pitch, let alone their opponent's pitch. So I really like to mess with people and I'm like, I'll pitch a lunging press and most people won't even notice. And, be, and I will say, I am pitching a lunging press. And then they'll get to the end of the game and they'll be like, oh yeah, you have a, you have a lunging press. I should probably play around that. And I'm like, well, I gotcha. <laughs> well that is a great way to end the podcast i think so thanks everyone for joining us take care i gotta go be a salty boy so goodbye everybody see ya see ya goodbye seven here, but, um, envelope we could do here darkness. is go ahead and play the envelope uh, all three pitches of envelope and darkness